0: Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. In the previous program, I mentioned a fatal great white shark attack off the coast of southern Maine. I could talk about the woman that was slain 63-year-old Julie D'Imperio Hollowat of New York State but who lived in this community on Bailey Island in Harpswell Southern Maine for years but no need for that at this moment this woman swimming with her daughter within very close proximity to shore, 20 yards from shore, was attacked by a great white shark. Her daughter was swimming 10 to 15 feet away and managed to make it to shore without being attacked and called for help for her mother. And kayakers were able to get to her and to bring her to shore And she was pronounced dead on shore. But this little matter of sharks. There are sharks in society. Many different types of sharks. But this particular type of shark, the great white sharks, are the mumbo-jumbo, the 800-pound gorilla among sharks, except much bigger than that. And the National Marine Fisheries Service, in its infinite wisdom, during the Bill Clinton, Hillary Rodham Clinton administration, saw fit to outlaw fishing for great white sharks, putting the value of these predators, of these the most extreme of predators above the value of human beings. Cold-blooded, literally cold-blooded predators above the value of human beings. Bill Clinton, Hillary Rodham Clinton, Albert Arnold Gore Jr., that wonderful administration saw fit to put the value of cold-blooded killing machines. Maiming, mutilating, killing machines above the value of human beings. And those of like mindset around the nation and around the world contend that Well, the oceans belong to the sharks, and we don't really have any business being there, and it's our fault if we venture in. Yes, that kind of brilliant thinking. But in addition to the many different varieties of sharks that are actually sharks, then there are all these others, predators, that might be likened to sharks. that are killing machines, destroying machines, who hate the good and seek to destroy them. In that arcane, archaic Bible, we learn that the evil hate the good and seek to destroy them that Satan came only to steal and murder and destroy, to destroy everything good and innocent and kind and gentle and pure and wonderful. When we read of girls and young women and occasionally boys, kidnapped, raped, tortured, murdered, or kidnapped, raped, Kept as sex slaves, or kidnapped, raped, and trafficked, or prostituted. We are taught that, you know, the value of the destroyers is above the value of those they prey upon. We really are. We are taught that. How are we taught that? Because we are taught carefully that it is wrong, wrong to execute the evil, wrong to rid the world of these monstrous destroyers, wrong to permanently prevent them doing such evils in the future. And when we read of these cases where it has been kidnap, rape, murder, whether gang rape was involved, whether torture was involved, explicit torture, above and beyond torturous rape. But when we read of these things, increasingly we hear of cases of these victims having been dismembered, their bodies destroyed in this way, that way, and the other way. Now, of course, the enlightened people, they view this as, well, the reason that they murder those whom they have kidnapped and raped and so forth, done such evil to, it's just to evade capture, to keep from being caught, and then to keep from being convicted. That's the only reason they do it. The only reason. But that is a lie. Victims are defiled and destroyed. Are raped, tortured, murdered, and then their bodies destroyed. This is not just so that these destroyers can go on doing this. But rather... Many, many, many times. This is all part of the same package. It is to utterly destroy the victims. And it is even to attempt to damn the victims. And many times you will find that these monstrous destroyers blame the little girls. Yes, little girls that they've kidnapped and done these evils to, and then they blame the little girls or the young girls or the very young women, helpless, innocent victims or the young mothers, and they blame them for the evil that they've done to them. But we, in our infinite wisdom, so advanced, so enlightened, so progressive, we know better than to punish the evil, than to avenge the innocent blood. Going back to the Islamist terrorist attacks, which some claim did not take place or, or were committed by others, but the Islamist terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. Immediately following that, there was a great deal of brouhaha about what would be acceptable to do to these Islamist terrorists, to various Islamist terrorists. There was a great deal of outcry via the major media against so-called torture of Islamist terrorists not the kinds of evils that they inflict on those whom they capture, okay? Not only not murder, not beheading, not murder, but not the torturous monstrosities, the heinous tortures that they inflict, but just the mildest of things were decried as being horrendous and crimes against humanity. I'm reminded of an instance of this in Israel, an enlightened Israel, surrounded by Islam, infiltrated by Islam. And they had some Islamist terrorists whom they had captured, and they did the egregious, the Israeli authorities in charge did the egregious act of blindfolding the Islamist terrorists, and turning them about several times like in the children's birthday party game, pin the tail on the donkey. Literally, the same thing. Turning them around, spinning them around to disorient them and then interrogating them and they were damned for committing these heinous crimes against these Islamist terrorists. We live in such enlightened times. And the conversations, the discussions, the debates went on about when would it ever be acceptable to engage in what was referred to falsely as torture of these terrorists, these Islamist terrorists. What about in a case where they have set nuclear bombs, dirty bombs and other nuclear bombs, they have terrorist bombs that are set to go off, would it be acceptable to interrogate them heavily to try to gain this information and save hundreds of thousands and or millions of innocent people? No, that would be wrong. That would be terrible and inhumane to do that. (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant stuff. I mean, you have to live in these most insane of times in order to even imagine such things. But what about in other cases? What about in cases of kidnapper, rapists, and so forth? Would it ever be acceptable to engage in strong interrogation of them in order to save those who may still be alive, whom they have kidnapped and raped and incarcerated in some prison vastly worse than any prison that anybody is kept in? in correctional facilities in the United States of America, including the most evil, heinous serial murderers. These places they put their victims are vastly worse than any of that. How about being buried underground? How about in chains in some hothouse and so forth? Would it ever be acceptable to heavily interrogate such kidnappers when they are caught, to try to find their victims in time to save their lives. Oh, no, brother. Oh, no. Oh, that, that would be wrong. That would be inhumane. Some programs ago, any number of programs ago, I mentioned this lovely, young, 18-year-old Amish girl, Linda stoltzfus A darling girl who has worked with children who are struggling in school and what have you. She was with a friend after church and she took off her shoes. She walked towards her home to change clothes before a youth meeting that night and was not seen again except by the kidnapper, and viewed on videotape, which led to his arrest. Well, he was arrested on July 10th, a Friday like today. Three weeks ago, now. She was kidnapped on Father's Day, June 21st. So it was 19 days before he was arrested. Now it's been three more weeks. Is it possible that in these three weeks in which she has not been found since he was arrested, is it possible that she has died from dehydration, starvation, heat stroke, suffocation, and so forth? Is that possible? It's entirely possible she was already dead, that he had already murdered her. Entirely possible. Highly likely. But what if she wasn't? Would it have been a reasonable thing to do to heavily interrogate this man of color, this Black Lives Matter man? Would it have been reasonable to He was tracked down due to witness of people who saw Linda Stoltzfus in his vehicle. Video of his vehicle. and his vehicle where it was parked, there was search engaged in, and her clothing that had been buried was found. Again, hope against hope pray for the best, pray that Linda Stoltzfus is alive and is found alive. But would it be reasonable, given that if she was alive when he was arrested, she was undoubtedly in a situation in which she would need to be found quickly in order for her to continue to live. Would that be reasonable? To engage in heavy interrogation? Oh no, brother, that is wrong. That's never permissible. That is just inhumane. That's how insane these times are. Whether it is the National Marine Fisheries or whether it is our jurisprudence system our justice system, our media, our major media elites, or our commanders-in-chief and highest members of the Senate and House of Representatives, and of course, the Supreme Court of the United States of America, along with the Supreme Courts of all of the states, along with all of the top appellate courts and what have you. So brilliant, so wise and wonderful. There not only is no justice, no judgment for the evil, for the wicked, for the destroyers, there is no mercy and loving kindness for the innocent victims and prey. Diametrically contrary to what is taught in the Bible and God's Word, which is, of course, something that is verboten, you just don't talk about those things. But meanwhile, if it's Islam, or Zen Buddhism, or Confucianism, or Taoism, or Jainism, or anything else, then it's totally legitimate. But, meanwhile, I made mention in the previous program about the illustrious leader, Vladimir Putin a great destroyer, if you will. President for life, even though not recognized as such, in the Russian Federation. And Alexei Navalny, a man of conscience, a man of quality, a man of character, who is the only true political opposition for Vladimir Putin. I talked about some of the things that have happened to Alexei Navalny and his staff. Those involved with his presidential campaign in Russia his anti-corruption foundation. But, again, back to a quote from Alexei. All autocratic regimes come to an end. Do they? Really? Depends on what you refer to as autocratic. But, he's speaking historically. He says all autocratic regimes come to an end. Eventually. Right? I hate to see people as righteous and noble and honorable and good as Alexei. endanger themselves and their families and loved ones and friends jousting against corruption. Good and godly people die every day trying to defend their families and loved ones from violence, from evil, from destruction, from death, in myriad different circumstances and situations. And while their deaths are tragic, they are in the right cause. Many also perish witnessing to the truth of Christ the truth of God Almighty and his word, and trying to make the truth of God known to people in many parts of the world where it is extremely perilous to do so. But jousting against corruption. I understand opposing Putin because he is a murderous destroyer. But the matter of his corruption, his thievery, and that of his cohorts, that is small potatoes. No matter how many billions of dollars are involved, it is still small potatoes. And this is what the Anti-Corruption Foundation is focused on. You know, follow the money. I understand it. But I find it tragic that family members and loved ones and friends and so forth are endangered for trying to investigate and root out corruption. And it's something that Vladimir and his gang of cutthroats take very seriously. But Vladimir, Vladimir has bigger fish to fry. He's focused on international aims. He has grandiose ambitions. And no, they are not dreams of some sort of Delusion. No. Any more than Hitler's were, any more than Stalin's were, any more than Mao Zedong's were. Adolf Hitler, had he not made so many calamitous blunders, could have achieved his end. Stalin enjoyed enormous success and if he had not focused so much attention on slaughtering Russians and others enslaved within the Soviet Union, he could have achieved more. Hitler's forces, they focused so much attention on slaughtering Jews and Christians wherever they went that they were distracted from their main focus. Now, Putin hasn't made that mistake. He has very narrowly targeted, focused his attention on and targeted and sought to destroy those whom he viewed as being the biggest threat to him in terms of Affecting his persona, his public representation to Russia and to the world. He viewed that not only with hatred and vitriol, but also as it being strategic to destroy these people. He has not initiated a war against neighboring or non-neighboring nations in which he has focused the attention of his armies on slaughtering people, mass murder. He hasn't done that. It's not to say that he may not, but heretofore he has not. But, he has moved against certain peoples. In Chechnya, Ukraine, Georgia, for instance. But before I continue, let me say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, unworthy, that is due to me. That is on me. That is my fault. But back to Ukraine and the so-called annexation of Crimea. It was taken for strategic military reasons. There were other reasons involved, too. As unlikely as it may seem to a great many people, as irrational as it may seem to a great many people, it served PR purposes. It sent a message. It also tested the will of the West. It was a probing operation to determine what kind of reaction would there be from the West. And of course, Putin, he had his forces engage in cyber warfare, which was very effective, but was unruly and ended up affecting businesses, people in various different parts of Europe. It gave them a foretaste of what they might expect in the future. Vladimir Putin insisted that this was a peaceful and just and honorable, righteous annexation. That it was not Russian aggression. That there had been no shots fired and no casualties. Which was, of course, a bald-faced lie. It reminds me... (laughs) of the lies of various presidents of the United States of America, such as those of Barack Hussein Obama, concerning his Assured Care Act, Obamacare. But, no, no, it was not Russian aggression. No. Meanwhile, what has transpired, not only the slaughter of Ukrainian soldiers and citizens. But what has happened in the subsequent years of this annexation? Well, Crimean activists have been rounded up They've been sent to psychiatric hospitals in Crimea. Some are placed in isolation. They're denied the most basic needs, such as access to a toilet. You know, among (laughs) the various circumstances they find themselves in. Some have been found dead. Others are still missing. Tatar activists. They've been kidnapped. When I said rounded up, they've been kidnapped. The same kind of thing that was engaged in by Stalin And again in Ukraine. The more things change, the more they stay the same. But, of course, the Russians insist that these are terrorists. These Tatar activists. When in point of fact, it is an absolute character assassination, but dear Vladimir, such a good man he you know why hasn't he received a nobel Peace prize i I really don't know you know he should be in there with Henry Kissinger, Yasser Arafat, and some other Really great ones like that. But back a number of years ago, four years ago, there was a contest, a musical contest. It is held every so often, the Eurovision Song Contest. And contestants are not permitted to sing songs pertaining to politics and so forth. But one lovely young Ukrainian woman who goes by the moniker, the abbreviation Jamala, she insisted on singing her song, the song, if you will, 1944. And it is about the Crimean Tatar's deportation in 1944. She has rightly adopted this song if she is not the writer of it. And for some reason or other, I can't find whether she is, but I believe she is. But I do not want to incorrectly attribute that. But this wonderful young woman, in spite of the rules to quash anything in which the lyrics are of a political or a similar nature. She insisted. She defied that. And she sang that song, and she ended up going all the way winning the Eurovision contest. This outstanding Ukrainian young woman But the evils done by Vladimir Putin and by his predecessors, and you may not recognize the likes of Stalin as being predecessors of Putin, which in point of fact they are. But the evils committed against innocent peoples, good people, godly people. The use of psychiatric hospitals continues, not just in Crimea, but in Russia, in Moscow, and elsewhere in Russia, by Vladimir Putin's secret police. But Ukraine today, tomorrow the world. Russia captured, seized Crimea in order to obtain strategic control. They also sought to destroy Ukraine. They failed to do that. But all of these nations bordering Russia, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Georgia, Ukraine, Moldova, and then, of course, the totalitarian Belarus. But they are all immediately abutting Russia. And reasonably, one would think that they would be the first nations to be attacked and to be rolled over by the Russian Federation. Personally, I think that the Russian forces would just romp through and zoom on to Poland and Germany and France. And that's that's just me. I just happen to view that as being the reasonable thing that will take place when Vladimir Putin finally moves. But of course, NATO stands in the way. Well, yeah. That's true. But tell me, what do you think NATO will do? What do you think the European nations will do in response to violent invasion of these bordering nations? These that border Russia. What do you think they will do? Will they go to war? Will there be World War III over that? Do you really think that? I think you are very mistaken if you imagine that. But again, I cannot imagine Vladimir's forces staying for any length of time static in those nations. I would see those nations merely serving as a conduit for invasion of Poland and Germany and France and Italy and Spain, <laughs> of course, Belgium and Netherlands and Denmark and what have you and then U.K., but we will see. Again, it's not going to be a single-faceted such attack. Russia will be working in concert with Communist China, with the Communist Chinese regime, and with all of the other satellites. No, not just the ones like Venezuela and Cuba, But, Iran. Islamist nuclear power, Iran. Islamist nuclear power, Pakistan. Of course, nuclear power, North Korea. Vietnam. One of the largest standing armies in the world, and so forth. But, meanwhile, President Trump, when he spoke with Vladimir just such a short time ago, days ago, he did not happen to address this matter of there being a possible bounty by Russia against U.S. special forces in Afghanistan. No, no, he dismissed those. Rumors as being just rumors, even though they are not viewed as such within the U.S. military, within senior intelligence circles. But he views it as just being rumors. No need to trouble the waters with asking Vlad, liar Vlad, about anything pertaining to such bounties on U.S. troops and U.S. Special Forces in Afghanistan. No. No need for that. Meanwhile, the other day, or the day before, I mentioned, but I believe it was yesterday, I mentioned about Russia, the Russian Federation, engaging in weapons testing in space. Yes, testing weapons against satellites. Satellites against satellites. To take down satellites. Russia has conducted non-destructive tests of a space-based anti-satellite weapon. According to the United States Space Force. I wonder if the president asked Vlad about that because apparently he did not. But meanwhile, NASA... Is busily prepping for launching the Perseverance rover to seek signs of ancient life on Mars. What a worthy endeavor. What a magnificent adventure. So we are choosing the United States of America, those who are in charge, are seen fit to adventure off into space, engaging in these wonderful Buck Rogers adventures to find ancient life in space. Meanwhile, Russia being ever so much more pragmatic, practical, real politic, nose to the grindstone, are engaged in testing anti-satellite weapons, space-based anti-satellite weapons, as well as ground-based. Hmm. Which side do you think is the more enlightened of the two? Which side do you think is making better decisions, wiser decisions. Putin's Russian regime, that old Russian, rusty, clinking, clanking, clattering bunch of colligionous junk, or the enlightened, advanced, progressive, sophisticated United States of America. Which one? Well, meanwhile the president and team trump they belatedly saw fit to shut down communist china's houston texas consulate and it has been determined that that wonderful beneficent benevolent communist chinese consulate in fact succeeded in its partial goal of slowing down of impeding of hindering the ability of the United States of America to develop to develop a covid-19 vaccine why would communist china want to do that communist china they just want to help everybody to get through this terrible pandemic. And yet, they're consulate in Houston as well as the others, but it was focused on this with particular proximity and access <laughs> to important research. It was focused on slowing, deterring, Impeding, hindering the United States of America, its ally, from developing vaccines, effective vaccines for the COVID-19 pandemic. Strange behavior for an ally of ours, most favored nation, communist China. Well, they were focused on other things, too. Yes. Such as analyzing information on biomedical research after they had collected such. But, oh well. Again, these are friends of ours, allies of ours, the Chinese communist regime, the bloodiest regime in all human history, bar none. That's right not hitler's third reich not stalin's soviet union but communist china the bloodiest regime of all human history heretofore meanwhile communist chinese spies who specialize in hacking they hacked into the vatican <laughs> into the roman catholic papacy into the Vatican to find out what it was that the Holy Roman See intended to do through the Catholic Church in Communist China, which is referred to as the controversial Catholic Church in China. You will find it referred to that way time and time and time and time and time again. Why? Because the Roman Catholic Church In communist China is, for lack of a better way to put it, a better excuse of a church than the Roman Catholic Church of the Vatican and the papacy. But, meanwhile, perhaps you think that the Word of God just really, again, has no place in public discourse, about anything other than, you know, theology and so forth. Put it in a Christian ghetto. Put it in a theological ghetto. Well, you'd have good company, I'm sure, with many. Albert Einstein. You know, a couple years ago now, well, not that long, a year and a half ago, a letter of his that was penned back in 1954, it sold for... $2.9 million, a letter which is termed the God letter, handwritten letter, and he wrote any number of fascinating things. It was written one year before his death. And Einstein, among other statements, stated, quote, the word of God is for me nothing but the expression and product of human weaknesses. No interpretation, no matter how subtle, can for me change anything about this. The Bible is a collection of venerable, but still rather primitive, legends. fascinating insight from such a brilliant man, a Jewish man, Jewish in lineage, but also, again, known for his brilliance and feeded by the modern state of Israel. Albert Einstein, socialist, like the leaders of the modern state of Israel have been. The word God is for me nothing but the expression and product of human weaknesses. So there is no God. The Bible is a collection of venerable, but still rather primitive legends. So the Bible is useless, arcane, archaic. No interpretation, no matter how subtle can, for me, change anything about this. And then he goes on to say that Jewry, like all other religions, is an incarnation of primitive superstition. The Jewish people does not have any different kind of dignity from all other peoples. Strange that he is so fed by Israel. Really strange. And let me just add this little tidbit. And this is according to that Bible that he disparaged. And that is this. I've made mention time and again about the most dangerous man in the world. The coming world ruler. Well, just a little tidbit for you, gleaned from the Word of God, and this will be of particular interest to some people who have no interest in and no belief in the Word of God, and that is this, is that this coming world leader is not to be found among our contemporaries trying to match up the number 666 to him. No. No. He's going to come on the scene in a flash, not just from left stage, right stage, onto center stage, but actually, according to God, from the bottomless pit, a fully formed beast of a man. Something exciting to look forward to, along with the ten kings or leaders who shall immediately precede him and subject themselves to him and he shall subjugate three of them. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.